Welcome to another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It is football and random things on a Monday. Iowa State coming off of a 72-20 to 20 win over the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. That's a lot of points. It is a lot of points, Jeff Woody. That is a lot of points. That's a lot of... Uh, a, you don't get to 72 by just being like really good alone. You also have to be playing somebody who's... Not all that good. I mean, I'll I'll do respect to ULM. Yeah. Uh, but so I rewatched, I rewatched the game on TV or on the TV copy through Rayal Mitchell's first touchdown, which I think got them to forty nine, uh-huh. maybe. And then, uh, but, but maybe it was in the. I think they were at 40, 42 or forty five or something like that before that. Yeah, so it was somewhere in the upper forties, low fifties. It was when uh, when the Holy Grail of sixty nine was still a possibility. <laughs> I, uh, I was less concerned with the, the 69 number and more concerned with the how are we doing number. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I mean, I'm just saying. But it was there. Iowa State, and we're going to dig pretty deeply into this. Um, they, they played so well on offense, uh, but there was a lot of mistakes on the defense of ULM that allowed like a 15-yard a play to become a huge touchdown. But they were able to do it. Like they didn't shoot themselves in the foot to the point where they couldn't. So yeah. that, anyway, it was, it was really, really, really good offense. And we can get really in the nitty gritty of how you end up with 72 points. But um, it was also a questionable defense by ULM. Yeah, I told Chris that part of me almost felt bad for Louisiana Monroe because I think that after the way they played at Florida State, thinking and they, like, they hung around at the Seminoles, you know, came an extra point away from taking that game to double overtime. Mm-hmm. I feel like they probably came into Ames on Saturday thinking that they were going to come into Ames and hang around and give themselves a chance. Well, and then even after and, the first couple drives. Yeah, well, and I knew that too because of the way that their coach was talking. I don't think that he knew that Iowa State was a good team. I'm not saying it's like they thought that they were good enough to come in and like win, you know, like that we're, we're better than them or something mm-hmm. like that. Or they're like, we think Iowa State sucks. So it's like, it's not going to be that hard to hang around. But I think that they had a lot of confidence and then they came in and just got shit stomped. And it's like, <laughs> I think it's to put it mildly. Yeah. And, and I was sitting there at the end of the game, like when Iowa State's just basically scoring it well, mm-hmm. they have the backups in there and they're still scoring it well. Like Rayal Mitchell pops out what was like a 35 yard touchdown run. And yeah. it looked like everyone, I mean, granted, he's super fast, but like it looked like everyone else wasn't even trying. Did you hear what the, the announcer said on the, uh-uh. on the TV copy? He said something like, uh, he must have jelly in those hips because jam doesn't shake like that. After he made that dude fall down, <laughs> I think that's what he said. Uh, that's a line that Robert Smith had to have just like had stuck in his mind. It's like at some point. Well, it was the play-by-play guy. I can't remember who the oh, play-by-play guy yeah, is. I remember, or I don't remember, but that's uh, yeah. He had to have that just sitting in his brain. Yeah, but it was just it the way that he he pulled it out so fast. I was, yeah, it's like this dude has been thinking about how he wants to say that sometimes for waiting. way too long. He's been waiting for it. Yeah. All right, but we'll talk a lot about Iowa State and Louisiana Monroe when we come back on Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Home Field. Home Field makes premium college apparel for schools of all sizes, including Iowa State. They dig through years of archives to understand each school and fan base, making thoughtful designs that don't just say Iowa State across the chest. They print these unique designs on the most comfortable tees and sweatshirts you'll ever own right out of their Indianapolis office. This summer, they sent me a t-shirt with the Or Cyclone. You know the best logo Iowa State will probably ever have, and it is seriously my favorite Iowa State shirt I've ever owned. Not only looks great, but it is incredibly comfortable. Go to homefieldapparel.com 
cyclonesapparel.com today to shop for the most comfortable Cyclones apparel you'll ever own and get 20% off with the promo code SciNation20 at checkout. That's promo code SciNation20 at checkout for 20% off your order from homefieldapparel.com, the home of the most comfortable Cyclone apparel you'll ever find. Gershman Mortgage, the Midwest's premier mortgage lender, is proud to be a part of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home, a vacation home, if you're going to upgrade or remodel that existing home, you can even refinance your current mortgage. Gershman Mortgage is here to help. With over 60 years in the mortgage industry, we have security, experience, and unmatched service. Visit our Ankeny office. Call 515-964-5952. Visit Gershman.com to get pre-approved today. Gershman Mortgage, NML. LS number 138063, 1200 Southwest State Street, Suite E, Ankeny, Iowa, 50023, Equal Housing Lender. All right, welcome back to Football and Random Things. If you saw me, if you're watching on Facebook Live right now, you saw me drop my chair. It's because I realized I was obnoxiously tall compared to Jeff on well, the camera. Which is true. You are obnoxiously tall. Well, yeah, but I think we should just at least create the illusion that... We're looking eye to eye, which we are look closer to looking eye to eye right now, and you're not like looking up at me. But I just dreamily like to look up at you like it's a rom com. Okay, this is kind of weird now. You should have not said that. All right, where do you want to start? I miss you, Jared. Okay, where do you want to start? Um, I, I think the first, the first couple, and I, I think the, the TV broadcast did a decent job of uh, explaining away the first couple turnovers um, because Brock Purdy had an unreal day. An absolutely unreal day. Right. And the two mistakes, quote, that were attributed to his stat book were an interception and a fumble. Well, neither one of them were his fault. Brock named the national quarterback of the week by Pro Football Focus. Well deserved. Um, I'm guessing he'll probably be the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week as well. Considering that he did something that no Big 12 player has ever done in the history of the Big 12. Correct. Which is throw for 400 yards, rush for three touchdowns, and pass for – or and – throw for three touchdowns in the same game. Mm-hmm. And that, again, I repeat that. It's the first time any Big 12 player has done that in any game ever. And Think about names, some of the quarterbacks. Yeah, that and, it, yeah. yeah, names like Vince Young, Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jason White. Like, you have all these, like, Heisman Trophy winning or high-level NFL draft picks. Taylor Colt, Martinez. Taylor Martinez, Colt McCoy. Like, all these guys have done that yeah. or have, have played in the Big 12 and never done that until... Brock Purdy. I was kind of saying Taylor Martinez is a joke, but it actually wouldn't have been that far out of the question. If I saw that two people had ever done that and it was Brock Purdy and Taylor Martinez, I wouldn't have been that shocked, honestly. No, because he, yeah. And, and granted, like this also happened against ULM. Like it, right. it wasn't like you were beating up against like Kansas State or something. Um, but so I think it, a lot of the things, and I wrote about this after the game, the thing that I think this game really exhibited that makes Brock different from a lot of the guys we've seen at Iowa State is his ability to create something out of nothing sometimes where he can move around in the pocket and it's like a lot of Iowa State quarterbacks in the past would have gotten just they would have got sacked anyway well I was you know I was texting or with, throwing the ball away I was texting with Jay you know as we do and kind of talking about like what he reminded me of what he reminds me of the most the most that he reminds me of is um uh, Russell Wilson yeah is the most I think apt comparison for me and we mentioned like it's the same mold of that Wilson Mayfield uh, Aaron Rodgers, like that, th- they all play a very similar style game where they're going to scramble. And you saw, we saw Purdy run clearly he had three rushing touchdowns. Um, and I, but I think only maybe four or five of his carries were scrambles. The rest of them were designed runs. Yeah. But the rest of his running, 
Like there was a, a pass that I, I don't remember who the reception was. Kolar. Uh, there was a pass that he, I think his, the ball that traveled the farthest down the field during the entire game for him was a boot to his right, which was he bailed out to his left and then doubled back to, to the right side and was just looking down the field waiting for someone to come open and then just shot a rocket. And kind of like threw it back across. His, right. Yeah, so it was yeah. like a, it wasn't necessarily back across his body. It was like straight down the field and hit Kolar um, who had continued to keep running during the scramble drill. Well, that was, he probably ran 40 yards and right. could have scrambled for maybe seven or eight, but found Kolar for like 27. Yeah. And so there was his ability to keep everything down the field and stay calm and comfortable. I think the thing that makes me also really excited for this offense going forward is they've, they've not, uh, we talk, I talk about um, square peg, square hole with uh, Lincoln Riley. Uh-huh. Iowa State is starting to do that or has started to do that with Brock Purdy. I think they've done a better job of it offensively. They haven't done that as much in the past, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Defensively, they've always done it. They've always oh, done yeah, it. Yeah. But now with this offense, they've tailored it around number 15. They've taken what he does well and put everything on the table that he does well and feels comfortable with. Right. They're not saying, all right, we're going to run our offense quarterback do our offense it's we're going to make our offense work to what makes you work mm-hmm. and then even even beyond that more like a philosophical change when where where ray al mitchell came in they did the same thing with him it's just a different offense is he's an accurate quarterback but he's a little bit jumpier than purdy is but he's the dude can absolutely fly he might be the best true sprinter him and maybe Kane are your best sprinters on the team. There's probably another guys that a few guys that I'm missing. And he's got jelly in the hips. And he's got jelly in the hips. Uh, but you know what I mean? Where they, they just tailored the offense to him. Yeah. So what this offense does now is his best attributes are his. And I, I mentioned this probably on the pregame TV show and the pregame radio or on the radio show with Cyclone Fanatic is it's consistency, it's accuracy, and it's decision-making. Mm-hmm. It's not anything related to his arm strength or his legs. It's his brain that makes everything work. Consistency, accuracy, and um, decision-making. Those, those things. And so what they've tailored this offense to be is they can run a route at... They can run five dudes anywhere on the field and trust that Purdy is going to get the ball out quickly to the right guy. Mm-hmm. So they can run a bunch of really relatively complex routes that as you know, like uh, that one with, um, I think there was a play that Petway caught. It was a first down. They were driving. I think it was on their first or second touchdown drive going towards the Jacobson building. Um, there was a play where they ran double crossers underneath. And Is that then, the one when he fell down, tripped on the turf? No, it wasn't that one. Okay. Um, it was where he just caught a dig and kind of turned around. I think it got him to like the five-yard line. Okay. Uh, anyway, so they ran crossers underneath, and it pulled the linebacker's zones apart, and then it, the sea just parted for Petway, and he just drilled the ball in there. Well, that whole route took like two and a half seconds to develop, and you're just accounting on both linebackers opening up and just right. zipping a ball in there. And they do such a good job of, of putting him in positions – where you have multiple options or you can read all the way through, but the, the throws aren't these enormous down the field, like, you know, the, the John Elway cock your arm and throw it 75 yards. Yeah. Their biggest plays came in the same zone that their average plays came in. Like Tariq Milton, 73 yard touchdown, that ball traveled 22 yards uh, down the field. Like obviously going laterally, it's a little bit different, but uh-huh. like down the field, that ball traveled 22, 25 yards because they ran, an option off of what they already had run 
hit him and then let him do the playmaking. The Deshante Jones, 84, what is it? 84, 85 yard 80, touchdown yeah, run. 80, he threw it like 12 yards. But his yeah. great ability to read where it needs, read where the ball needs to go, get it out on time. Um, that's what makes this offense what it is. And then the other kind of portion of this is I feel like they found out, again, building the offense around 15 and not building around 32 and 18, is last year Purdy was able to operate in general comfort without having to do a lot for himself. Yeah. And I don't mean that because not to discredit what he did last year, but usually they could be in a favorable down to distance situation because they just give it to 32 on first down in some way with screen pass or swing or hand it to him. Um, and you've got like, all right, well, it's second and four just because we already know what we're doing. Second four is super comfortable to operate in. And he didn't have to do a thing. He just had to give it to him. And then if it ever became, you know, second and 11 or second and 12 or whatever, or third and nine, and you needed a, a play to get you open, you had 18 that even if you weren't throwing it to him, they'd shift the coverage to him and you could throw it to somebody else. Right. That he didn't have to read a lot. It was just find where 18 is and work your read off of 18. Um, See, and this is where I was, I was thinking about this in the press conference after the game, and I, I'll probably ask Coach Campbell about this tomorrow. It almost feels like this offense can be statistically more explosive as a unit mm -hmm. than what they have been in the last two years, despite the fact that one of the most explosive players the school's ever seen. Two of the Hakeem, most explosive two, players. I would say Hakeem, his ability to go 60 yards. And right. So, like, David obviously was very explosive, but he... Not very often we're seeing David bust fifty yard runs, right. you know, but where you've got uh, you've got a guy in Deshante, you've got guys to, in Tariq. To, to, to interrupt your question to prove your point, Bill Belichick's number one thing that he always does when the Patriots game plan for somebody else is take away their top threat. Yeah, what would Bill Belichick game plan for? against this Iowa State team. What is the one thing that they would not be able to do? Number fifteen is your top threat, probably. Right, and so you, when your top threat is the quarterback. That means the entire offense is the top threat. It's getting rid of the ball quickly to everybody. Yeah. See, and that's where, like, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was watching the Chiefs, where, especially right now, obviously the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey, one of the best tight ends in the league, and things like that. But, like, right now, without Tyreek Hill, or he's injured, they don't have a receiver who is specifically, like, so much better than everybody else that – he just can be ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Tyreek Hill can just be ridiculous because he's really freaking good. You mm -hmm. know, they don't have a Kareem Hunt back there at running back. They've got a bunch of really good pieces. And then they've got a quarterback who's really good at getting the ball in the hands of the guys who mm -hmm. are supposed to go and put the ball in the end zone. Yeah. And that's what I love about what Brock does so much is that he just knows he knows his job is not to do everything. Mm -hmm. His job is to get the ball out of his hands and get it into the hands who were brought to Ames, Iowa to go and put the ball in the end zone. Yeah. And that's what you've seen them do that's what you saw them specifically do on Saturday and I think that's what you've seen them do more of here really just this season where it's like he's not sitting around in the pocket thinking like oh man I gotta force something I've got to make an amazing play right. I've got to make something happen he's just like no I'm gonna throw the ball to the guy who is open and that guy is going to do his job and he's gonna take the ball where it needs to go and he just has to put it in a, in stride so that guy doesn't have to slow down yeah I mean it and if he does have to slow down it's because he wants him to slow down it's he's got so much control of where the ball goes um that 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 offense functions around the fact it functions around run after catch mm -hmm. and, and even if it's not run after catch, it's focusing on getting positive plays. It's that you never go broke taking a profit attitude where if you gain seven yards of play all the way down the field and you never gain a 35 yard play, that's still going to get you in the end zone. This was a stat I was going to give you 
in three games this season, the Iowa State offense, this is crazy. The Iowa State offense has won three and out. That's in three insane. games. And that's probably in 40 drives. At least. At least. I mean, that's crazy. If mm-hmm. there's many teams in college football that have won three and out in three games, mm-hmm. I mean, it's got to be like Alabama, <laughs> you know, Oklahoma. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like Oklahoma probably even has some three and outs just out of the just way that math. they, yeah, just the way that they play. Like you and might the, take a couple shots and. And they lost. probably have more drives just yeah. out of the fact that they score everybody. a lot of points. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. Like, that's insane. And it's not like they're putting up every, they're not putting up video game numbers like they did on Saturday every week, you know, mm-hmm. but every single time they get on the field, they're doing something to at least let that defense get some time to rest mm-hmm. for and, the most part. And I think the other thing that's really important to note about this offense is they have had a few turnovers so far. They've been very stupid turnovers mm-hmm. in the sense that they're extremely correctable that the one I would say the one that's not is is the Purdy fumble um in the Iowa game which that's just it's a shit happens fumble like yeah. you can squeeze it as tight as you want it's just sometimes they get it right even but, the one against Northern Iowa that went for a touchdown I don't know if they've changed the rule on the way that that is officiated but I saw that happen again this weekend where something like that happened and they called it a fumble and and it and the ball went like 10 yards down the field yeah, I don't know. But either way, like th- that, that shouldn't have been a turnover. Yeah. But it, it, regardless, like they've had what, four or five turnovers in the season? If you count the five, if you count four, because they had four if you don't punt, if you don't count yeah, the Yeah, five punt. if you count the punt return. Yeah. Um, so, but the two that were this week were um, how that worked. It was a miscommunication uh, between Purdy and Milton. And it's always funny if you know what's happening. Just watch the body language of each one of the guys, and you'll recognize which one of the guys made the right read and which of the one of the guys made the wrong read. Purdy was right, both of the turnovers. So what that was, for, for those, some of you might know what that is, some of you might not. So if a man is in press coverage, basically this offense, this is not unique to Iowa State's offense, but a, a quarterback has freedom to make a, a quick throw read all the time. Because if he sees a coverage that's favorable with a matchup that he likes, and he can get rid of the ball and literally catch throw. Even if the offensive linemen are blocking for a run and they're going straight down the field, by the time he throws it, they're not going to be far enough down the field to cause a penalty. That's where Oklahoma lives on this type of play, where if they see a matchup with CeeDee Lamb versus you know somebody who's playing at nine yards off, they can just throw anything they want to him and you automatically pick up six yards, like guaranteed easy six yards, break a tackle, maybe take it for 70. Mm-hmm. So they had an automatic, I don't know if this was called or not, but it looked like it was just an automatic read to Tariq Milton. And in this read... If you're saying, I think I like this matchup between my number one or my guy and their guy, if their defensive back is playing a press coverage, like right on the line of scrimmage, they're two feet from each other, then Milton would convert that to a fade, meaning he runs like outside of the, the defender and just runs down the field and Purdy will kind of try and lead him. If the defender plays off is, or is backed up, then... Tariq Milton or the, the receiver is supposed to sit in a hitch, which is run a few yards and stop. Yeah. So Purdy, w- what happened, the defensive back lined up immediately in press and then backed off. And by the time he had snapped it, the defender had backed off. 
So what that back off meant is hitch is hitch. It's sit. And so what Milton saw, because he was looking at press coverage, then he looked back in for the snap. He never he didn't keep one eye on the defender. And so he the last time that he looked forward rather than looking in towards the ball, because with the crowd noise, he can't hear the snap. He has to see the ball move. So by the time the ball moved and he got his eyes back, it looked like it was press. He remembered it being press coverage. So Milton ran. So, well, if one guy's running vertically and you're expecting him to stop, you throw where you think he's going to be because you have to get rid of that ball even before that guy thinks about making a break because by the time he turns around, it's catch. Mm -hmm. So Milton was supposed to sit. He ran. Purdy thought he was going to sit and threw it right to where he was going to be. And then they walk off the sideline. You see Milton do that, like the tap his chest, like my bad, man. My bad. Yes, it was your bad. And then the second one, it was the same type of play. Quarterback always has the option to get rid of the ball quickly. The difference is he has to do this was maybe a little bit of Purdy's fault the way we did. It, and I don't know how this staff will do it. Kane ran into his arm as he was going to throw it because in Kane's brain, that was a called run play. So he's taking his steps as if it was a called run play. Well, Purdy has the chance to check to a throw whenever he wants to. So in Purdy's brain, he was thinking, I'm going to throw to this guy. A lot of times when you're back there, they would tell our quarterback to do something to let us know Mm -hmm. that he's going to throw it. In which case we would take our fake run steps, air quotes, our fake run steps like forward instead of towards the quarterback to get out of his way. Um, I don't know if like maybe I don't remember. just like the quarterback would say something like, Hey, throw, throw, throw. And then he would call the snap count just because then I can hear I'm standing a yard away from him. I can hear him saying, throw, throw, throw. And I'll do that. Or like he just gives some type of hand signal, what looks like a hand signal to the wide receiver on the other side. And then I'd be like, okay, well, he's doing something. So I I don't, whether there's a miscommunication or maybe there is a signal that Purdy gave or that a read that he should have seen. Like if he, there's sometimes defined rules like, hey, if the linebacker is lined up inside of the number two receiver, it's an automatic throw. Well, Kane has to see that too. And then he takes his steps differently. So there's there's a little bit of shared blame on that one, but most of that is Kane not seeing or not getting the communication to move his steps out of the way. Yeah. Purdy goes to draw the ball back, hits Kane in the shoulder, ball goes on the ground. So like those two mistakes, they're super simple, extremely simple to clean up, and really good that happened. Again, the first three games we've seen these what seemingly bonehead mistakes, but they're great that they happened in these first three weeks because you can you can bet that this is not going to happen down the road with anybody because it's going to be a thing to harp on and say like, okay, if you see this throw read Brock, you got to be louder. You got to communicate to him that you're going to throw yeah. it or Kane or running back. What you have to see, you have to pay attention to this read. Remember when we fumbled because of this, that could happen against Oklahoma state and we lose. Well, and the, and we both know that what they are in September, for some reason, when that calendar flips to October, all of a sudden they become like world beaters. Mm-hmm. You know, and but where their base is right now, if they're going to continue to get better week after week for the next two months, I mean, then they're going to be a pretty damn good team. You know, they're going to be a buzzsaw. Like they're the already pretty tough. Like they're already pretty tough. But they're I, I don't know. Like they've got a, a, a couple like they've just clean, keep cleaning things up and keep kind of moving forward here these next couple weeks. I mean, by the time they're playing against, you know, Oklahoma in the first week of November, like by then you're like, man, this team's tough, mm-hmm. you know, barring unforeseen things, right. whether that's injuries or whatever. Uh, I was going to say something. Oh, um, the, 
the other thing that I thought was, um, man, I, you, can't, you rambled so long, I can't even remember what I was going to say. I thought of like three different things looking at this sheet. Uh, oh, Sean Shaw. I was gonna, that's what I was going to talk about, was the, the young guys. Sean Shaw only catches touchdowns. He's going to catch 100 touchdowns in his career. <laughs> it's no other receptions. No, he no. will only catch touchdowns. And if he has to catch it in the open field, like, all right, son, your statistics matter on this. Get in the end zone. Also, Real Mitchell will only throw touchdowns. Yep, that's it. I feel, I also, I mean, I just, it's been so long since we saw Iowa State play a game where they could get the young guys into the game mm-hmm. and consistently, and like they were able for, to play for a good amount of time, right. you know, rather than like one drive at the end of the game, just cause you want to get, right. Basically, you want to get some guys cleats snap. dirty. Basically they take the snap and take a knee. Right. And that's it. But, uh, I think it'd be hard to sit back and not be impressed by what Real did, by what, uh, Shaw J- did. Jairo Brock did mm-hmm. in his time out there. Brees looked good when they mm-hmm. were giving him the ball at the end of the game. What Sean Shaw did. Um, there was another guy that, Oh, I was going to say Trevor Downing. Did you Unreal. S- did, he was the guard on the national team of the week on Pro Football Focus. His run block grade was like 95. He's good. That He's kid is really a, good. That kid is, is a difference maker at, at a guard spot. Which is really interesting now. This is a, a, a champagne problem. Is Now you get Colin Newell back, who's one of your... I mean, clearly you thought he was... He, the, it pre, previous two, you thought he was in your best five. Um now you have six guys, possibly seven. Well, even Robert Hudson and, and some of those guys looked yeah. really good when they were out there. And uh, is that 77? He's 76. Is it 77 um, uh, Ramos? I think that's Robert Hudson. Oh, okay. Uh, but he looked pretty good. Yeah. I, I the, noticing big, him. the big guard. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, they have guys that can play. And I would say Downing and Newell and then... Or, excuse me, Newell and then the current starting five are guys that you can rotate in and out wherever you want. Yeah. Like the, you can, you can have a bunch of different um, lineups and keep guys fresh ish. If you want to, I don't know. Uh, C-Dub again, and I have talked about this quite a bit and, and Jay and I were actually texting before this and he goes, what do you think they do when Newell gets healthy? And I don't know because I think there's, there's two schools of thought on this is that it's better to have the, again, the five same guys yeah. because they communicate better with each other that you don't kind of interchange uh, one guy in there and kind of throw off the vibe of that unit. Um, but then there's the other school of thought, which is you can keep guys fresher yeah. longer where like if you bring in Newell, you can pop out, um, you know, you can take Olsen out to guard and you can give downing a breather or you can move, you know, Kniffle, maybe Kniffle out to tackle and then like give, um, whomever a break i think julian's See, played that, really good like really well for the past few weeks but or you can even move newell around like yeah. you can because he's a big enough he's six four what 285 he's yeah. not a small player he could play tackle if he needed to so like you can move these guys around and keep them fresh so there's two schools of thought i don't know which one manning is of that if he wants to keep the same five or if he wants to keep guys fresh um but either way you now have this sort of embarrassment of riches that you've got six really capable offensive lineman with two pretty good units. What Chris and I have talked about before is that um, once Newell comes back, which I, I would be surprised if he's not back this week, I think, um, is he will probably move to guard and then they'll move Knipful to tackle and they'll rotate Meeker and Knipful. That's like my best guess. Because think, I think that they feel like Meeker can be better for 25 to 30 snaps than he can be for 60, mm-hmm. you know, and you almost split them a little bit and you let him rotate in. And he's your guy that like rotates in 
and can do a couple different positions yeah. or whatever. Well, Kniffle can play anywhere. Yeah. Um, but either way, like again, it's an embarrassment of riches. That offensive line has played really well now for two straight weeks. Yeah. Uh, all five cross, and they've got now again the ability to bring a guy in to give a guy a breather, or maybe you know, it happens with offensive linemen where somebody gets like their hands smashed in a between a couple helmets or something like that, and they need a breather because they need to get taped up. Wallace, he doesn't have to go back out there without a full capacity of his himself being able to do something. Put another guy in there, give that guy a couple drives off to get treated, get make sure everything gets back. Then he can come back on the field. So they have this capacity to do stuff. Um, and I think the other great thing about this is that their offensive scheme prevents it, it. It allows for this offensive line to succeed at its best capacity because they're, I would say they're more athletic guys than they are mauler guys. Mm-hmm. Like they're not an offensive line. That's going to just you know, like sit there and just move you out of the way. Right. But they are on plays where they can get out and pull. They can get out and run. Like they have a really athletic starting five. So those guys, when they can get out and run or they can do pull, like they can pull, they can get like be athletic. That's when a lot of movement in that front five happens and that's where a lot of these RPOs are coming from or a lot of the reads that Purdy's keeping is they'll read on not just a true zone look like a lot of times the real like the your traditional zone read is all five guys step in one direction they leave the backside defensive end on so like all five offensive linemen step to the right the defensive end on the left you don't block if he runs with the offensive line quarterback goes behind him if he stays back you give it to the running back like that's your traditional zone read they can do next level stuff like that where they'll have a puller which a puller generally speaking is going to lead a it's going to lead where the ball is going because you're not going to move an offensive lineman away from the direction of the play and run him into you know into the stands to take him out of the blocking scheme Mm -hmm. so a lot of times a puller is a much more solid indicator of the run game going in that direction and they'll read that so the, the running back is going with the puller, but give Purdy the option to pull because of how athletic, athletic this offensive line is. So they can do pull reads on read options, and it's really that's where a lot of Purdy's big plays came from is because they pull Downing out in front of him or they pull uh, Kniffle out in front of him and then just pull back behind it. And the defense has so wholly committed because, again, they see puller. Their, their read is, as a, as a defensive lineman and a linebacker, you're not taught to look in the backfield because – as an offense, we want to confuse you. We want to throw as much action as we can towards you that you're going to see a, a pump fake and you're going to see a jet sweep by the guy and you're going to see all these different kinds of things. Well, if you look at the line, the line will tell you much more surely. It's like in basketball. Don't look at their shoulders or their head. You want to look at their belly button or their hips, right? And it's the same thing with the defense is they're going to look at the line. Well, a lot of this successful running game has come off of these pull reads because you see the line, they're run blocking, they see a puller. Habitually, defenses think like, all right, dead set, follow the puller, follow the puller. Yeah. Well, nope, follow the puller, and then nobody's there on the quarterback on the backside. So Purdy can make these great decisions. They trust him to make good decisions. So it this offense is really fun to watch because it's not one thing. It's not one guy being like, shoot, we just got to, we got to stop Justice Hill. Like if we tackle Justice Hill, this, we're going to be fine. Or, you know, we just make sure Sam Ellinger doesn't get outside the pocket. Like if it, that's the type of feel, this doesn't have that because you can't get to the quarterback, you know, rattle number 15 gets rid of the ball too fast. You can't, all right, let's just stop the run. Okay. Well, 
in the first half, I think they only had like 90 yards rushing and but like 300 passing because they just get rid of the ball really quickly because they're committing to the run. There's not one thing that you can stop this offense with if they're executing like they did. Yeah, and it's it's crazy, too, to watch the NFL every week, and you see more and more of the concepts that Iowa State is using <laughs> that are mixed in to these NFL offenses. I'm not saying that I'm, I would, don't, I'm not saying anyone's taking – I mean, everybody's taking things from everybody. It's just right. that's how football is. Right. But I was watching the Browns last night, and I know that Matt Campbell likes the Browns, mm-hmm. you know. But they ran the same RPO three times in a row – where it was literally the same one that Iowa State scored on twice against Northern Iowa, Mm -hmm. where they read that... The number two receiver reads the backside linebacker. Yeah, the number two receiver reads the backside linebacker, fake the handoff, and then it's just like a quick Mm -hmm. slant. And they did that three times in a row to Odell Beckham. Yep. And I just sat there and I was like, Iowa State runs that same play all the time. I think it's funny. Like I was thinking about this with you see like the success of Pat Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and and Mayfield's having a little bit of a sophomore slump. I think they'll figure out their offense eventually. But like that offensive line is so freaking bad. The tackles are bad. The interior three are fine. It's the tackles that I don't know how much of going against Aaron Donald is a good gauge, but But he he was he goes getting his ass beat last night. Uh, But anyway, like you see that yeah, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, um, the the. Cam Newton, like you see yeah. these mm. offenses that are very college style. Yeah. That college football people, whether it's coaches or players or whatever, like hacks like me, are like, guys, this is so simple. Oh, it's never going to work at the NFL level. We got to keep that fullback and run the eye. And then Pat Mahomes comes out and throws 748 touchdowns and 500 yards a game. And they're like, hey, you know what? Maybe this Mahomes guy has something. We're going to come up with a new scheme. No, you're not coming up with a new scheme. You're just stealing what, I, what, what college players have been doing since Colt McCoy in 2007. Like, yeah. come on, NFL. You're not smarter than everybody. You're just more stubborn. So you're saying Taylor Martinez was just ahead of his time. Ahead of his time. And had uh, throwing mechanics like Uncle Rico. <laughs> hey, he had a... Uh, what did he, football what over he those throw mountains. for? He threw like for 550 yards on Oklahoma State one year. Cool. Against Oklahoma State's defense? Cool. Oh, man. Those were some... Man, what to talk about some... That was like called... That was the chuck it and pray offense right there. <laughs> That's the ultimate chuck it and pray offense. Uh, all right. Last thing about the offense, and then we move, need to move on. Well, actually, one note. Deshante Jones is now eighth all-time at Iowa State in receptions and is 13th all-time in receiving yards. I think we need to take note of how good Matt Campbell's first recruiting class was mm-hmm. and the fact now that they have produced a top 10 receiver in school history uh, a top 10 running back in school history and a top 10 defensive end in school history with their first recruiting class that they had like that they 50, had a couple 50 days yeah they had yeah they had basically two months to put together they're good yeah that, they're, uh, that's pretty good they're good and I mean I feel like if I wanted to really sit down and look at it more there's probably more, I don't even remember who all was in that class but for the hits like the hit record is much higher than generally it was previously to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and consistently they've done that now. And like the, obviously the talent level, the whole team has gone up and you can tell, uh, and that's kind of reflected again by offensively um, their ability there, you know, that Bill Belichick conversation we were having earlier is what thing are you going to take away mm-hmm. or what person are you going to try and remove from the equation? It's really hard to do that. There's yeah. not much that you can just isolate and say, this is the thing that they do well. They want to get rid of the ball quickly. Maybe you press the receivers. Well, problem is they can still throw it down the field if they have to. Oops. Is they can still throw it down the field. Save the shoes. I did. The first thing I did is move the shoes. Okay. I spilled my coffee. I talk with my hands. It's okay. It's better than the beer that got everywhere last week. But uh, the 
Um, this, I think that this brings to, you know, to surface one more thing. How do you continue to get more of these guys that I think have shown what they can do? And, I, and Matt Campbell mentioned this after the game in the press conference where uh, they needed to see some stuff from some of these guys under the lights to where they could get that confidence in them to put them out on the field, whether it be Sean Shaw mm-hmm. or Rial Mitchell or Jairo Brock, Brees Hall even. Mm-hmm. What do you do now to continue to get those guys involved? Or do you just keep doing what you're doing? And if they get worked in, then they get worked in. If not, then you don't try and force them in. I think it's, yeah, just naturally. These guys have such a good idea on how to rotate everything, that the, especially Haycock and his defense. I mean, that we can talk about this more after the break as yeah, far as the rotations we'll and that. stuff. Yeah. But getting these guys in, in certain situations, like Darren Wilson's another guy, they've tried to just occasionally like work him in to get him in, in situations. He looks like he's getting a little bit more confident. I don't, did, I, I don't believe he's had a reception. He didn't have, he did have one against Iowa. Yeah, but he, I, I, one reception, but I don't believe he's had, he had a reception on Saturday. Not, I don't think so. Um, but anyway, like he's getting more confident and cause that dude can stretch the field. He's he, getting him more, you know, comfortable plays like when they work Landon Akers in a lot of times they'll bring in Akers to give Deshante a breather and there's not a huge dip for the four or five plays that he's in mm-hmm. and then you can get him back in and so doing things like that where maybe Petway needs a little bit of a breather get Darren Wilson in or you know Tariq Milton needs a little bit of breather and get Sean Shaw in for three to four plays and you've got the capacity to just kind of pop these guys in for three or four snaps now that you know that they know what they what they're doing. Yeah, they had nine players with receptions on Saturday. None of them were Darren Wilson. So. Which was the same as Iowa, right? They had nine guys with reception against Iowa? Yeah, so basically they just moved. They substituted Sean Shaw getting a couple receptions for Darren Wilson's receptions. Yeah. And one thing with the last thing I want to say on this offense before we move to the defense after the break, these tight ends are such a luxury. Oh, yeah, they were. Goodness. Uh, eight receptions for the tight ends for... Mm, like 100 and 105 yards. And not only that, like Purdy's first touchdown. 15 yards? Or yeah. it was his second touchdown. Excuse me. Purdy's second touchdown, his rushing touchdown. They had Saner out in front of him blocking in space, and they had Allen pulling to just level some dude. Like Chase Allen, if you want to watch some fun blocking, like I think I, I mentioned this to you when I was up in the box every once in a while, like just watch number 11 because he absolutely just shit cans guys. Like it's not the kind of like position blocking let a, you'll see with in space a lot of times. Like number 11 wants to plant some dude's numbers through the ground. And it's fun to watch him do that. And Saner's really good in space. Kolar's your best receiver. You've got the, this ability to just mix and match these three guys that no, very few other teams have that kind of depth and flexibility right. to go from a three or four wide with Milton Jones and Petway, and then you bring two of those guys out the field and run on Kolar and Allen, and now you're in a really heavy set of 12 personnel with Petway, who's also sometimes they play as like a flank tight end because he can just bench press the world, and then put Tariq Milton as the far guy to, because he's the deep threat. And you have this huge flexibility, and these guys are so good at moving around. We thought that this offense was going to look like they had, like they were with these three tight ends, and it's absolutely been true. All right, we're going to take a break. Jeff is going to clean up his coffee that he spilled all over the table, and then we're going to talk about Iowa State's defense on football and random things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Hello, Cyclone Fanatics. It's Chris Williams, and you all know that Cyclone Spirit is a force to be reckoned with. I want to tell you about something today, though. It's called Through the Forever True for Iowa State. It's a campaign, a historic 
initiative by the Iowa State University Foundation. It's to raise donations that will benefit every aspect of the university. Cyclones everywhere are helping to reach the unprecedented $1.5 billion goal. More than 81,000 donors have given to the campaign thus far, including over 27,000 first-time donors. So far, they have gifted more than $1.2 billion. The Cyclone energy is truly unstoppable. Now, this campaign has achieved an amazing amount of success thanks to gifts of every size and the impact it's been seen across campus from the Sukup South End Zone and the North End Zone construction to the thousands of students who receive scholarship support. You can learn more about this at ForeverTrueISU.com because the world needs more Cyclone Spirit. Hey, fanatics, it's Chris. I want to tell you guys about Pascots today. Pascots are fun-loving, plush, mascot pacifier holders, and they introduce infants and toddlers to team passion that their families have and loved ones have in an unforgettable way. They sent me a sigh pacifier holder for my little girl, Elise, who was born in August. And let's be honest, she's a little too young to really understand what's going on right now. But by gosh, when she gets old enough, she's going to be like, hey, this little side doll has been with me for weeks. I love it, and I love the Cyclones Pascots. They're fun-loving. They're awesome. They come in all sorts of different teams, too, but we all know you want the Iowa State one. Check them out today at Pascots.com. All right, welcome back to Football and Random Things on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. I was just envisioning anybody that's watching on Facebook Live tuning in in the middle of the break to see Jeff just cleaning up the table. This is actually just, uh, it's the new Cyclophonetic branch. It's just uh, like homemaking, where it's yeah. like how to clean up a mess. It's, Cle- me ex- it's me giving an example of how to clean up messes. Cleaning up a mess with Jeff Woody. Yep, that's all it is. And I mean, you like use football analogies the entire time. <laughs> I don't even know if I can. I'm, I'm random, but I don't know if I can randomly like translate those two things together. You're like, uh, you say like, hey, oh, you pa- spilled some coffee. This is just like when the left guard misses his block <laughs> on, a, on a 42 power. Hey, when you're just, when you're just trying to get that, that first amount of coffee off the table, it's like your lead blocker. You send that first paper towel first to clean up the majority of it. Then you send your running back, which, is, which has a little bit of spray on it afterwards. That's what it is. That's, that's one person would watch. Who? Your mom? Yeah, just, no, it's my grandma. It's my, my, uh, okay. my grandma would watch. Hey, Doris. Okay. Oh, man. Football and random things. Second Fanatic Podcast Network. Uh, Iowa State's defense. Obviously, I think there's some things that you can pinpoint that needs some working on mm-hmm. after this game against the Louisiana Monroe Warhawks. Average 5.3 yards per rush. Not good. Not good. Not good for Iowa State. Um, it's okay. So we talked about how bad ULM's defense looked. Their offense actually looked pretty good. They have mm-hmm. two legitimate playmakers in their backfield. Their quarterback and their running back. I don't remember. Number six and then Johnson, I think is the name of the running back. Caleb Evans and uh, yeah. Jordan Johnson, I and think. So their names. They're, they're pretty good players. Yeah. But um, I, I think the, the rotations that Iowa State is known and they will continue to do. I think they were giving more guys um, more reps than I think they normally would. Where, like, there are certain guys like uh, Amichi Walker. Like, Amichi Walker is a fine player. And I think they were, they, in under normal circumstances, like next week against Baylor in Waco, you're probably not going to see, even in the, regu- quote, regulation 
like snaps where it's, you know, still a 21 point game Yeah, uh, where there is the theory that it's still close. They haven't subbed everybody out. Um, you're not going to see like 27 on the field as much as he was on Saturday. So I think they were doing, especially once this game situation presented itself where Iowa state's offense was just scoring as much as they wanted to. I'm sure that Campbell went on in the, you know, was like Eisworth dinged up his shoulder a little bit. I'm assuming he's totally fine, but there's no reason to put him back in the game. Even though it was, I think 21 point lead at the time that it happened, there's zero reason to take it, put him back in. Iowa state is going to comfortably win this game. Keep your, one of your best players off. So Arnold Zuna comes in and then, but like Amici Walker, like I said, is going to play a little bit more or like Bobby McMillan is going to take more snaps at linebacker than he probably will against Baylor because they want to get him more actual live game reps or the, the second or third line of the defensive line is going to get a little bit more of a percentage than they normally would. So maybe it's, you know, a, a 10 snaps for any Wazirike and three snaps for Matt Leo. They made it more like six and four or like seven and four or something. You know, the, 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 the ratio is a little bit different. So a lot of those plays happened. Like there was three or four of their, what I would say are big plays, like probably 150 of their yards, 140 of their yards came on three plays. And there were two big quarterback runs and one big scramble by, uh, or one big run by the running back. And all of them, we were talking about one of them beforehand, both of the two of them beforehand, actually. Um, Will McDonald was playing a defensive end position in a non-third down situation, and he was just essentially just playing defensive end mm-hmm. and missed a call, like flat out missed. Like they were supposed to twist. Lima was starting on the inside at like ahead in front of the guard or the center and ran out outside the tackle. And then the defensive end is supposed to come back essentially to replace where he started. Will McDonald just totally forgot to come back in. Like he, he missed the call or and you were mentioning, I didn't see this. Like, I didn't see him do it. I just saw kind of the end result. Apparently, he just kind of stood there. Yeah, like, he was like, he was standing there watching the tackle cross his face. And then it was like, oh, oh, cra- oh crap, I'm supposed to be in the middle. I need to go to my left. So, like, th- that was just a busted play, which allowed yeah. a huge amount of space for the quarterback to scramble through. And then, like, um, in the same light, that big run by Johnson, that was like a 50-yard run that was, while the game was still, I think it was the only real, oh, shit, that moment when uh, ULM, I think it was 14 to nothing at that point, had a big play that got down the field. Um, Leo was supposed to be, like he started outside the, the tackle in what's called a five technique, so outside the tackle. Um, and he was still playing the B gap, which is between the tackle and the guard, which means he had to cross the tackle's face. He has to stop at the B gap. He can't just continue going. Yeah. If you continue going, all of a sudden you cave the whole side of the defensive line in. Right. Well, the tackle washed him down pretty hard, which left a whole lot of space for the, the running back to operate in. And space is the enemy of a defense. Like you want to close space as much as you can. Offense is trying to create space as much as they can. Well, when Leo got caved in, there's a whole lot of space. Uh, I believe it was McMillan. I don't remember now thinking about it. The, the play side linebacker. I think it was McMillan. It might've been Spears. Um, was trying to adjust out, but there is, Johnson's a really good player in open field. And then Rose tried to come back from the other linebacker spot to make a tackle. There's just nobody there because Leo got caved in so far. Mm-hmm. Again, he was in the right direction, just went too far. So there are certain times when the, the, the guys that are not starters, which are still good players, got a higher percentage of the snap load than they normally do. So I think this game, you can, they gave up 425 yards of offense. It's not good. They had 5.5 yards per rush. Again, 50 of that came on one play and 41 of it came on another. So remove those plays. They probably played okay. It was still not their best. 
But I think a lot of that can be attributed by mis- to mistakes by guys that normally aren't going to play as much as they did. Yeah. But those guys will eventually need to play in critical situations, so they need to clean up their game. And we talk about it like against I or you and I in Iowa, where the offense was making critical down and distance situation mistakes. Like in week one, Julian Good Jones probably had his worst game. Like not probably, definitely had his worst game. And there was like a fundamental mistake that he made, which it was on a third down and he screwed up and it caused the bad play. And he hasn't made that mistake since then because we got to see it on film and they got to see whatever coach, maybe it was a nice delivery, maybe it was an aggressive delivery, but 51, see what you did here. It was wrong. See the result. Now you can do the same thing of, Hey, 89, this is what you did. This is what happened. This is the result. So you have the, the, you now have teaching film with the defense, with this second line of guys to say, this is what we expect from you because you did it. Not because, hey, number five, did it learn from what he did? You felt what it felt like to miss that position. You felt what it felt like to turn around and see that the ball was behind you. Now you know what to do to correct it. So it's a good situation to make mistakes in that you have this super comfortable win that your guys are playing in relevant snaps with a higher percentage than they normally would. Um, But I hope that they start paring down a little bit on those rotations and keep their starter guys. And I say starter guys like Jake Hummel is the equivalent of a starter. Yeah. He doesn't play when you swap him for Spears or Vance, there's no step down. He's the same quality as the starters. And I would say a guy like Arnold Azuna is actually probably pretty close to that or, or Arnold uh, Azuna played really well or like uh, Bickham versus uh, Braxton Lewis. That's yeah. a, it's a pretty even out swap. I don't think there's a lot of difference there. Jamal Johnson, Ray Lima is really good. It is a little bit of a step down, but that's because Ray is all conference. Good. Um, Jamal Johnson being another equivalent starter. Like those guys, I don't have any, there's no real issue. Jamal no, Johnson would start for a lot of teams. In right. The Big 12. There's no real depth problem right. at some positions but then there are guys again that need more snaps like you know walker is the guy that comes to mind or mcmillan is the guy that comes to mind that i think they need to still play and they need to still have quality snaps but just less of them than they did now and i think that's probably going to happen going forward into the into big 12 play because you'll still see those guys in the field it's just not going to be as much as they did now unless they start to improve when they have significant snaps because of this game janice asks about the third downs um I was, I was going to ask you about that too, um, and I I figure I'd kind of know what your answer will be. But they went, ULM was ULM was four for four in the second quarter, four or five in the third quarter. That was all eight of their third down conversions out of seventeen that they had. Are you concerned at all about their ability no. to get off the field on third down? Not that's really. after going. Ten, Iowa went ten for nineteen last week. Not really, um, because again, uh, so Iowa the Iowa game was much more a little bit more concerning than uh, the Iowa State game. But this is still in the same light that we mentioned the offense still trying to figure out who's doing what. Mm -hmm. The defense is still trying to figure out in certain situations who's doing what. And that third down, we need to get to the quarterback, what alignment works best. Because they've tried where, um, you know, even like a third and long. Like a third and the third and short situation, I think if usually if I remember these numbers right, as a defense, you want to keep third and short under 50-50. Like yeah. if, if it's third and two and you can be 50% on third and two, that's pretty good. If you can be, and I don't remember, third and medium might be a third and like third and long, you should keep them under 20% conversion on third and long. I think those are the numbers, but it's been six years since I heard those. Anyway, um, so and you weren't taking notes on all of the defense. I was the defense's uh, goals. Well, it's because our goal, it's an offensive goals too. Oh, okay. Um, but if 
you know, your, your ability to get off on third down in those longer down and distance situations comes from a getting to the quarterback. And even if it's not hitting him, it's making him uncomfortable to bail and then having a coverage that's tight enough that that timing of when the defensive line gets there versus when they, um, when they're throwing it, sometimes in the years past, they've rushed just three and because they've trusted that their secondary is going to stay there mm-hmm. or they've shadowed like Joel Lanning and then Lanning could go after the quarterback or they've brought in Willie Harvey. Like Willie Harvey last year became one of their best pass rush options because they would bring him from depth because his timing was so good at getting there. But Shout out to Willie on the 53-man roster for the Browns now too. Hey, nice. Uh, but they didn't get there. They didn't get to that knowledge that Willie Harvey was going to be a really good third down presence until week five or whatever. Like he didn't have a a lot of pass rushing early. So they're also trying to play with game situations and figure out, you know, this is what they do best. And and you can have an idea and you can have it run in practice. But again, a basketball analogy is like, you don't know that Matt Thomas loves to shoot from the corners in live games because he can shoot really well in practice from anywhere. But all of a sudden a live game happens. Okay. He likes shooting right from the corners. Make sure if we need a three situation, you camp him out there instead of, you know, at the wing or whatever. Mm -hmm. So that only happens under live gunfire proverbially um, to actually have figure out where that is. If they don't improve now that, because I think this coaching staff really values conference play a lot, like significantly more than non-conference play. So now that they're playing in conference play, I bet you see a lot more buttoning down on those because they've gotten ideas of what works, what doesn't work, who plays better on third downs, who's a guy like maybe Will McDonald on third and long is a guy they always, they consistently want to bring in because he's a good pass rusher, but maybe he's not because he makes mistakes. Like those are things that you're still trying to figure out. Is it the, probably the, the bigger, one of the bigger bugaboos on this defense? Yes. They need to start getting off on third downs better, but is it a huge concern? Not yet. Again, if it holds through Baylor and then they've got West Virginia after Baylor? Uh, no, TCU. TCU. Just so, also just announced as an 11 a.m. kick at Jack Rice, Jack Rice Stadium. So if, the, if Baylor and TCU, if they're both, if consistently in back-to-back weeks, they're still bad on third downs, that's when I would start being concerned. But I don't think that it's going to be that big of a deal uh, going into conference play. If uh, Iowa State can't get TCU off the field on third downs, I'm not sure they can get anybody off the field on third down because that offense is horrendous. Again? Oh, yeah. I watched them on Saturday. They were... Not good. They were real not good. Real not good. Good. Max Duggan started at quarterback, and at one point he was like 6 for 25 from passing. That's what you want. That's what you want. Okay. A couple more things. Jeff asks, uh, has Mike Rose adjusted to the outside linebacker position? I would say that he has. He led the team with nine tackles and a tackle for loss. The dude can play anywhere. Yeah. I I think that Mike is doing just fine out there at at the outside linebacker spot. I feel like Mike Rose is going to be one of those guys – that uh, by the time he is draft eligible is in that conversation for a high round draft pick like Montgomery was yeah um, because he is so versatile and his body type is that that he can play anywhere so he's fast enough to play in that outside linebacker position so to, to answer the question yes like he is he has adapted comfortably to knowing where he needs to be in space um, and I think that you're again going into the next he's so good in coverage they don't want to take him out of coverage but that was also where Willie Harvey played. And we just mentioned how good of a pass rusher Willie Harvey was. I would think Mike, not would think, it might happen where Rose becomes more of an addition in the pass rush setup because he's actually good at that too. Uh-huh. Is he can, he can make seen him do it pass rush moves. Yeah. Um, 
I, I would think that he starts becoming plussed towards the, in, in the blitzes in those third down situations if they do want to bring pressure. Um, but yes, he, Rose is one of the best players in the defense. He's one of the best players in the team. And like I said, I, I would feel very shocked if, because this is just his second year, he's got at least another one. By the time he's done with his college career, if he's not being talked about for a high round draft pick, I'd be pretty shocked. Yeah, for sure. Another guy I was impressed with is Zach Peterson. Six, oh, me too. Six t- six tackles on Saturday. Four of them, or uh, three solo, three assisted. You know, looked who, really good. Who he reminds me of, and without the the same quality of moves, is Jared Allen. Like that kind of. He's also a redshirt freshman, so he's know, he's yeah. gonna get better. But you, yeah. as far as what I what I mean by that is like, and even like Aaron Donald does the same thing. He's just Aaron Donald's the most dominant defensive lineman since Reggie White. Like, unreal. But, uh, or J.J. Watt, and when he was in his prime. Anyway, what Peterson does that may, reminds me of um, Allen is goes to pass rush, tries a move, doesn't work, tries another one, doesn't work, tries another one, doesn't work, balls out, thrown to a receiver, he's going to chase that ball down, he's going to make a tackle on a wide receiver that just caught a hitch 15 yards away from the play. The dude's motor is unreal, and he's athletic enough to get there. Like I mentioned, um, so I was sitting with my girlfriend, and we're watching the play, and I see on kickoff that 55 is on kickoff and I turned to her I'm like okay I, I was on kickoff return that is a dude that I would absolutely uh olay yeah as best I could him and Dylan Sainer I'd stay out of the way of both of those individuals Good lord well 55 plays harder than 89 does and 89 plays really hard like Sainer he's a tough dude plays hard and he's six seven and weighs like 270 270 yeah but like Peterson dude's what 255 and still is like the first guy down on kickoff and there was one where he knocked the wind out of a guy just on a form tackle because he hit him so hard. Yeah. The dude's motor is unreal. And I think his potential is really, really high just because of that. Athletically, he's a good athlete. I mean, he's a defensive end. He's a, a stellar athlete for being a human being. He's probably not as athletically gifted as Matt Leo. You know what Zach Peterson is? What? He is the prototypical dude that Iowa has had playing on the defensive line for like the last 20 years. Yep. Yeah. Is that uh, the Mitch King... Yeah, mold, but he's yeah. Peterson, I thought had played really, really well. Um, Orion Vance continues to get better. I think the the linebacking core is slowly growing to be maybe not necessarily the strength because again they're nothing without the defensive line. But you, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, a better group of linebackers in the conference than those guys. Got Iowa a lot State of football has. Pl- a lot of football to play still, too. Yeah, we got what? Spears is a senior. You lose Marcel after this year. Mm-hmm. But your guy, that you, I mean, Jake Hummel, is a sophomore. And uh, no, Jake is, I think, a junior. A junior? A true okay. junior. Okay, yeah. true junior. So you get Hummel can play again. Vance is comes back. Rose is going to be a junior. And then Chandler Pulvermacher, who's just got his first. Is a, he's a redshirt freshman. Quote, meaningful snaps uh, playing. And you have those guys, which are, again, going to come back going to come back going to come back going to come back and two of them have three years left yeah two and a half years left yeah rose and vance both have two years after this one and then pulvermacher has three years after this one and i think jake i am like 95 percent sure jake is a true junior because i think they had to play him basically right away on special teams yeah but again like i I think this linebacker group is really good and it's only going to keep getting better yeah for sure all right man uh last thing what do you think of Baylor? Any thoughts on the Bears so I honest, far? I honestly haven't watched them, um, but knowing... We know we hate them. Yeah, it's as a... I want to punch them in the face. As a uni- Like they did to Sweet Prince David Montgomery, who everybody should watch tonight on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Go 32. Um, 
but I would say the only thing that comes to mind, I, I, I haven't watched them at all. So I'm speaking from strictly remembering from last year and knowing the style play that uh, Charlie Brewer plays. Charlie Brewer is like the quarterback that they just saw with ULM, but better. He much is much more accurate and is a very good situational runner. He can make a lot of stuff happen. This, I would say, Hurts, Ellinger, Purdy, and um, Brewer are your best four quarterbacks. And the dude at Oklahoma State's pretty good, too. But like, mm-hmm. that, there's a clear upper echelon of quarterbacks, and Charlie Brewer is up there. He's a guy that can make plays happen all the time. Um, Iowa State's going to have their hands full being able to do this, and, and they're going to... The, the defensive staff is going to do something, and I don't know what it is, that makes him feel uncomfortable. Because, again, coming back, this is the, the best example that I can come to, uh, is back when Pat Mahomes was playing for Texas Tech, and Iowa State beat the shit out of him 66-10. to 10. Mahomes ended up leaving because he had a bum shoulder. Like, he ended up, he left, like, halfway through the first or second quarter. And they put their backup in. But when he was in there, Pat Mahomes is, again, clearly... A phenomenal quarterback. He has the Big 12 record in offensive yards because he threw for like 800 against Oklahoma. The dude is unreal. That's one gauge. Yeah. And he, but that what they did is they didn't try and bring pressure. They didn't try and blitz him. They didn't try and drop eight just for the sake of dropping eight. They found a thing that he doesn't like to do and made him do it over and over again with Mahomes, especially with a bad shoulder. He didn't like scrambling to his left which is that, you know, eventually in the pros, he ended up throwing it with his left hand. I would say ironically is now something that he is very good at. Yes, but he didn't like scrambling to his left. Yeah. So what they did is the defensive end that was on the quarterback's left just stopped at the line of scrimmage and essentially played contain just in case he tried to go down the field. The other defensive end played really, really high, like tried to flush him as much as he could to his right. And the defensive tackle played just to the left in order in just in case Mahomes tried to duck underneath the defensive end and escape out that other way. And then they spied a guy again, just in case he did try and escape. And then once he broke the pocket, the, the spy, that linebacker was just kind of hanging around there would push up into his chest to make him get rid of the ball instead of being able to scramble. So all they did which made them, which was the successful strategy was force him to his left, make him throw. Like they can do things like that by isolating what he doesn't like to do. Brewer's a really good quarterback, but I trust that Haycock after having a whole year of film on him now is all right, let's find what the kid doesn't like. Let's make him do a lot of what he doesn't like. All right, man. Well, uh, you want to come out to our game watch on Saturday at Buzzard Billy's? I am actually going to be in Nashville for work. Oh, Guess I won't see you at Buzzer Billy's. Oh. That sucks. I know. I'd much rather be there. I hope everybody else will come out and hang out with us at Buzzer Billy's. Us and the crew from Wide Right Natty Light. You know, we don't want you there anyway. It's, it's okay. Fine. I get it. You're not cool enough to hang out with us. Nope. All right, Jeff. I'll talk to you again next week. All right, buddy. All right. All right. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to everybody watching on Facebook Live. We'll talk to you guys again soon. Peace. <laughs>